0: to enter into that day. He has rather saved us from that day of tribulation. Now, He has not saved us from tribulations. Those are lowercase. Those are different times and trials of our life. But He has saved us from that terrible day of tribulation. Now, today as we see the calling and the catching up in a way, here then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up together, snatched, translated, this is often referred to as the, used to be, at least referred to as the doctrine of the translation or the, the doctrine of Enoch, or Enoch, right, who was translated, who, who walked with God and he did not die, the only one there in Genesis who, who was translated up. Now, notice what Sorensen writes about this. He says, the word translated as caught up or harpazo has the sense to be seized or to be snatched out. Though the word rapture does not appear in the Bible as such, the concept thereof is based upon the word and its meaning. We pause there for a moment. Where we get the word uh, rapture from comes often from the Latin uh, rap, uh, rapturo. Uh, that's where we get this idea from the word rapture. And notice this as well. Just a little side note: just because a word is not in the Bible does not mean that it's not biblical. Anyone ever seen the word dinosaur? in the Bible? Not in the English. But it's there, isn't it? Why? Because we find the dinosaurs all throughout. Why? Because God made all things. He made every animal. Not only do that, but we find then Leviathan, Behemoth, all right? all these dragons and things. What do you think that's referring to? How about this? This one is a big one. Anyone ever heard of the word Trinity? No. And not in the Bible. That's right. It's not in the Bible. I was like... Doug, we'll have a class after. We'll we'll get this straight, Right? Trinity. You can search Genesis Revelation. You will not find the word Trinity. Do we believe in a triune God? You'd better. If not, there is no salvation, mind you. There's a great book read pretty recently by Michael Reeves called The Lighting in the Trinity. Shorter book. Um, goes really good and deep, though, into the understanding of why we serve a triune God, and God has revealed himself to be such, and why, if he is not triune, we don't have a hope of salvation, and we would be just like every other worldly religion that would serve itself and ultimately end in destruction. The Trinity is critical. Today, mind you, I know this isn't your notes, this is, this is, but this is needed. The Trinity today is under attack once again. It was under attack in the early couple centuries of the church. This is what First John had to deal with much of. They denied the deity of Christ. They manipulated things. Uh, they have a, a skewed view of the Trinity. And many of us today have taken the Trinity, and we've kind of put it as one of the lower doctrines. I want you to know, it is the highest of highs. Without the Trinity, our whole faith system in the Scripture would crumble and fail. You either are a Trinitarian or, or you don't believe the God of the Bible, right? Now, there are many today who are putting this as a secondary or a thirdary issue. It's not. It is a matter of salvation. It is a matter of eternal weight. And there are others who are being promoted, who have a wrong view of the Trinity, or a false view, rather, is the proper way to put it, of the Trinity, and are being promoted as church leaders, and people we should look to for answers, anyone that denies or has a manipulated or a twisted or an unbiblical view of the Trinity or of the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost as individuals that make up the Godhead, there is a huge issue there. And they are to be avoided and to be marked. We must understand this. Now, all that to say, the word rapture might not be here, but yet you and I can still call it the rapture of the church. Alright, Sorensen continues on and he says, The place into which we will be called up unto meet the Lord is in the clouds. It is in the air of the atmospheric heavens. From thence shall we ever be with the Lord, thus for all who are in Christ, both those already departed as well as those alive and remaining. The day is coming when we will ever be with the Lord. The eternality of heaven is thus clearly implied. Here we find what the goal is of the cross is to do. It is to reconcile us unto God so that you and I might know His presence. Not just an abiding presence that we can have as believers now where we abide in Christ and He in us, but something far greater. One day we will see God face to face. One day we shall know Him. One day we shall see Him. One day we shall be with Him never to depart. Now the reason why, if you remember back and Jesus' last night as He is preaching and teaching to His disciples, especially about the coming days and their important need to depend upon the Holy Ghost that will be given to them and the way in which they are to abide in Him and He and them for their power, for their strength, for their apostleship, for their preaching, their teaching, for their daily life. What we see is there is a huge importance there on that idea of His presence and they become incredibly frightened at the fact that He tells them that He's going away. Why? Because they knew where Jesus was. They were safe, secure, that it was a the right place to be. It was a good place to be. It was the best place to be. Is there a better place in the presence of God? Well, absolutely not. This is why we get to long and look forward to be in the heavens. Now notice this. Has any man seen God and lived? Can't. Matter of fact, for God is a spirit. And he is holy and righteous and just, and anything that is unclean cannot dwell in his presence in such a way. So, notice this. Why is the resurrection of the dead and why is the rapture so important to you and I? Because then it makes us fit to see God and be in his presence forever without dying. Now, those who have died already in Christ, they don't have to die anymore, they're going to be resurrected. To be with the Lord, we shall meet uh, the Lord in the air. With them, we will be snatched up, as we're going to get into this, calling up and away. And so shall we ever be. Our body has to be translated. This is where First Corinthians fifteen comes into play, and it's so important to understand this idea of the rapture. Is that you and I, there in First Corinthians fifteen, that Paul says, "Behold, I show you a mystery: that we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed." Right in the moment, the twinkling of an eye. Right. It's going to happen this quickly. You and I have got to take off incorruption and put on, excuse me, put, take off this corruption, to put on incorruption. We have to take off this mortality, put on immortality. We have to put off this flesh. This is why the moment you are saved to the day that you die, our daily task is to yield our flesh to God, because if not, our flesh will be used for nothing but fleshliness, worldliness sinfulness. The focus for God's people and the comfort is that one day we shall always be with the Lord. And that is the comfort, ultimately, that we see in verse 18. Now, all of us have often wondered, what is the rapture going to be like? I I know I've wondered what it's going to be like. Will it be this great burst of light? Will it be this overwhelming sound throughout the world? Uh, will, Will we be able to see those who are left behind and those who are caught up will we see all these things we'll be aware of these things will we even care about those things what what will be taking place we've all seen the movies most of you probably read the books back when they were popular popular that the left behind series things like that and oftentimes let me just be honest with you what the world portrays and even the christian world unfortunately portrays as happening at the rapture and the tribulation is not compared to the bible nor does it often come from the bible Many of those that I've just named that we've seen as popular movies that have come out and a multitude of books and things, they just aren't biblical as they ought to be. We have gotten to where, here's what we think, that there's going to be absolute and utter chaos when the rapture happens, like two-thirds of the world's population are going to be gone. Y'all ever seen those movies or clips or things? And And I saw one, there was one on Facebook the other day floating around. And uh, it was this guy, he drives up to the church, and he you know, should have been in church, I guess, already. So he drives up there. He goes in, they'd already been having church. But there's only about a third of the people. And everybody's, oh, no, everybody's going. And they all know, how, I want you to know this. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's going to happen that way. The Bible speaks of a great falling away. So notice about the falling away. And we'll get into it once we get into 2 Thessalonians. The world doesn't fall away. They're already fallen. It's the church. It's those who claim to know Christ. I believe firmly, and I might be wrong, and to be honest, I I want to be wrong on this. I believe that if the rapture were to happen on a Sunday morning and even if it happened on a Monday afternoon, I believe that there would be plenty of people having church the following week. There would be many who would not skip a beat. You say, well, what would be the, the reason that, that people would give uh, for people to go up missing, easy. Their world right now that we're living in is absolutely eaten up with the idea of the extra-worldly or the extraterrestrial. You realize that the vast majority of people believe in alien abductions? There is an increased number of alien uh, or UFO sightings. Now, you think I'm crazy all right good <laughs> that's fine you want to know what all this stuff is do you, let me ask you this let's ask a simple question do you think that whole idea of ufo stuff is confusing do you think it causes manipulation and confusion to the world and the populace who's the author of that satan is the author of confusion now i believe that there's plenty of people who are seeing stuff and they're not even eating extra greasy pizza before they go to bed They might not even be doing drugs and see these things. But I want you to know what they are seeing. It's not aliens from another planet and another galaxy with extra technology. It's demonic. Now, I want you to know, if this were to happen, the world would certainly have their excuse and their reasons why. We've seen this time and time again all throughout our history, especially recent history, that you can have the entire world believing a lie pretty quickly, can't you? what we find is that the devil is called the father of lies. And I believe he's going to have a pretty good one when the day comes for the rapture of the church. And I want you to know as well that those who are without Christ aren't going to miss you near as much as they might think. Those who are without Christ on that day, they are going to continue to live their life as they please, as they choose for themselves because that's all that they know this day is impending it is imminent you and I might be prepared but there are countless who are not and I'm afraid that many churches are not prepared because it has not been preached it has not been taught it has been put on the back burner or it has been left alone because well we don't want to confuse the people you had better as Paul says I would have you not be ignorant we should not be ignorant about this day that is to come and it is coming quickly how do I know it's coming quickly because we're day closer today than we were yesterday and it might happen today, it might happen tomorrow, it might happen next week. It might not happen in my lifetime. We're still in the last days, and the promise is still just as sure as it ever has been. Alright? Now I want us to understand this, and I addressed this a couple weeks ago when we were here, uh, uh, looking at this passage in verse 17 and 16, looking at this coming. We had talked about the idea of this shouting with the voice of the archangel in verse 16 and this trump of God and all this sort of thing. It sort of gave the idea at the time of one who was having an announcement that a king was entering into a town, and all the people would come out to see. But I said we've got to understand that this was written by those who had a very Jewish understanding, and you and I are not Jewish. But in order to understand this, there was something greater happening than just a king coming for his people to be looked at like a parade. You and I, the church of God, those who are alive and remain, those who are in Christ Jesus, are called not just the body of Christ, but the bride of Christ. Now, I believe here that the importance is to understand that the church is not only the body, but it is the bride. Now, I want to give just a couple of quick uh, references for this. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 11, uh, verse 1 through 3 tells us this. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest, by any means, the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, not subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. How about over in uh, Ephesians? Ephesians chapter number 5, verses 21 down through 33 uh, tells us this. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, as he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, the church is is subject unto Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Notice this. We might look at those verses and think this is only applicable for those who are about to get married or those who are there on a wedding day or those who are going through a tough time in their marriage. This is for the church to be reminded that we are the bride of Christ to submit to His authority in everything. Everything. And by the way, Christ is a greater groomsman than any of us men ever will be. But we should love and lay down our lives as Christ loved. Notice this is to show us lumped together as the bride. He continues, he says, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Ecclesia. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. What does the bride wear when she walks in through the back door? A white dress without spot without blemish. As a matter of fact, it is about the most important thing on that day to make sure that there is no spot or blemish on that dress. I remember the day that we got married and I didn't know this until later on in that day, but <clears throat> excuse me, I had some family who was going to use the the house where camp uh, you know it was the Parsons where I was living the guys were over at the church we had basically camped out there for the night we're just ready for the shindig to start get hitched and all that stuff Cammy's over at the house with her girls and they're doing hair and makeup and 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 all that stuff and I have a family member who showed up to have their dog stay in my basement because they were going out of town on the way out so they were going to have their dog stay in my basement while the wedding happened okay nope nothing wrong with that we don't want the dog staying in the sanctuary so it makes more sense well they go to let the dog in And Kim had just gotten in her dress, they had to wrestle this dog down and throw the dog in the basement. And you say, that sounds mean to the dog. That day, the only thing that mattered was making sure that that dog did not go and jump on my wife who was already in her white dress, right? Would have been a bad day for everybody. We already had enough excitement on our wedding day, all right? And that's for another another day. We didn't need anything else to, to liven it up, all right? We think about how important that purity is. He goes on and he says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hateth his own body, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as a Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. This passage is not merely referring to what husbands and wives in the household ought to look like. We'll get into it one day in seeing the order of the home. But nevertheless, we've got to understand that this is dealing with us being the bride of Christ, that we are to be pure before Him and we are also to be waiting for His coming. Now the way in which we do weddings today are much different than the Jewish wedding from 2,000 years ago. They did everything different 2,000 years ago. Matter of fact, You can think, we did everything different 80 years ago, (laughs) right? Times have changed, and they've changed quickly. Nevertheless, we've got to understand here what is taking place here. I believe we find here the wedding before the war. When Christ makes that calling out of the church, when He calls us home, there's a wedding. But on earth, it will be a war. It's going to be judgment. There will be literal wars against one another, but the Lord Himself shall commence war. And after all things, even after the second coming in the Millennial Kingdom, there will be one more uprising and the Lord Himself will put His enemies down till there will be no more enemies. God has the victory and the Lord Himself is the one that will wage such a war in His wrath and His fury and without a drop of grace and sight. Now that's frightening to the lost world. At least it should be. To you and I, it's heavy, but we're able to praise God and thank Him that I'm not going to be here on that end because we are a part of His bride. Now, the Jewish wedding tradition and Christ's coming I'm going to read this for you here. Here we see this. The Mishnah Kedushin, the section of the Talmud dealing with dedication or betrothal, specifies that a bride is acquired by a groom in one of three ways. One involves the groom leaving his father's home, traveling his bride's home to purchase her for price. The groom gives a token or a dowry. Its value must be known to the bride. Always love that when a, when a couple asks, Well, how much do you charge for weddings? I like to look at the look at the groom and say, Well, how much is she worth? It's always fun. <laughs> it says in all cases the wife can only be acquired with her consent, the, the marriage contract or kutuba is then established. And from that moment on, the bride is sanctified or set apart exclusively for her bridegroom. Let me ask you, does this sound a little bit different than how you got hitched already? Probably a, lot, probably a whole lot different, right? This isn't quite the, we go out on a date, or we call dad, or we ask father, you know, can I take her out on a date? And he says, have her home by 8 or 10 or whatever, and you go out to the diner, you share a milkshake with two straws, you go bowling, and, and then, you know, it's a whole lot different so far, is It is customary for the groom and bride to drink from a cup of wine over which a betrothal benediction has been said. The prenuptial process can be seen as symbolic of Christ's work on our behalf. Jesus left the home of His Father in heaven and traveled to the home of His prospective bride, the earth, to purchase her for a price. That is His own blood, 1 Corinthians 7.23. His bride has joyously consented to the match. How do we consent to this? By grace through faith. The moment you trust Christ, you are now a part not only of his body, but you become a part of the bride of Christ. That's who's being raptured on that coming day. Continues on, he says, His bride is joyously consented to the match. He has given her a priceless token, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 16, verse 6 to 16. I encourage you, by the way, go back and for sake of time, go back and read these, these references on your own and kind of see how all these things put together. Now, with the establishing of the ketubah, the new covenant, Jesus' bride was sanctified for him, 1 Corinthians 6.11. The communion wine is symbolic of the covenant by which Christ obtained his bride. The, uh, the Shulchan Aruch has uh, or an exhaustive presentation of the details of Jewish law elaborates regarding the two stages of marriages. The pedrothal, right? This is the kedushan, uh, meaning sanctified, and the consummation of the marriage, nisuin, uh, translated uh, elevation. caducian is not engagement as we understand it. It is a binding agreement in which the woman is legally considered the wife of the man. Right? There's no giving the ring back really is the idea. This, it, this is viewed in the eyes of everyone else that, that they are uh, together. Right? He says it is a binding agreement in which the woman is legally considered the wife of the man. It was routine in Jesus' day for caducian and Nusian uh, to be separated by as much as a year. During that time, the bridegroom would construct the marital home. This too can be viewed as a metaphor for spiritual truth. Let me pause there for a moment. Oftentimes, what the groom would do is he would return back to his home place. And the homes were a whole lot different than now. It wasn't just go find a plot of land, throw a double wide on it, call it a day. They were building upon their family's home, other rooms, other places, their own place attached to it, if you will. Now this is important as we go on. Didn't Jesus say something? I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I'm coming again to bring you unto myself that where I am you may always be, right? How about this? We go on. It reads, During that time the bridegroom construct the marital home. This too can be viewed as a metaphor for spiritual truth. After sealing the covenant with the church, Jesus ascended to his Father's home to prepare a dwelling place. Just prior to his death, Jesus told his disciples, My Father's house has uh, many mansions if we're not so, right? I would have told you, right? We go through here, John 14. Read that passage and read it into verses, uh, chapters 15, 16, and 17. As you see Christ uh, work on behalf and His praying on behalf of His people. Now, as we're going to fast forward a little bit here, according to Jewish marriage law, when the time came for the nisuin, the groom would return for his bride, accompanied by his male escorts. Right? These are his his uh, his, his groomsmen. Right? These are his his friends. With this, the exact time of his arrival was not usually known in advance. Now, when you got married, did you know what time you did? As a matter of fact, most of us men, the only thing that we really needed to worry about that day was what time do I have to be there and what do I have to wear? Right? Here, the bride does not know the time. She's got no Pinterest board, she's got none of this stuff planned out. She's just waiting for the coming. The bridegroom. The groom's arrival was announced with a shout. The church's bridegroom has been separated from his bride now for nearly 2,000 years, and one day he will come for her and snatch her from the earth to meet him in the air. First Thessalonians 4.17 We don't know when exactly this will happen. We must be ready and remain faithful. Mark 13.33 Jesus will be accompanied by an angelic escort, proceeding by a shout when he returns for the church. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 after being whisked from her home, the Jewish bride remained hidden at the groom's father's house for seven days. Similarly, the church remained hidden for a period of seven years during the prophesied tribulation period. After the seven days, the Jewish bride left the bridal chamber unveiled. Likewise, after seven years, the church return to the earth with Christ. That's His second coming. On that coming day, Paul is referring to the resurrection of the dead in Christ shall take place first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with the Lord. Jesus is going to triumphantly and dramatically gather His bride to be with Him forever. We are told in Matthew twenty-four, forty-two through 25 verse 13, roughly the details of what is His coming for His bride will be like and the true bride of Christ will be raptured up to Him. There are plenty who think they are a part of the bride who are not. There are plenty of folks who think they know Christ but do not. There is a false bride which is made up of false believers and they will miss the true bridegroom when he comes. They, here's how you'll know. Here's how you know the difference between the true church and the false church. The true church will be ready and will go up. The false church will not be ready and will stay and will remain in their rebellion and their blindness. The war will be Jesus, the Lamb's judgment during the seven-year tribulation known as the day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble where He will judge the world before returning with His bride at His second coming to set up His millennial kingdom. As we continue to study 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2 Thessalonians, we'll see many more details of this sort of pan out. Verse verse 18 here, and we'll be done. This is important. This is the pretty bow on the passage. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What words? Jesus is coming. He is going to call His church home. Comfort one another with this. Is there anything more comforting to the church today than to know that the bridegroom is coming? Is there anything more comforting to the the bride than to know that there is a place being prepared for us and and we shall forever one day be with our Lord? There's no greater comfort than to be consummated with her bridegroom when he comes to gather her. Green writes, the Thessalonians grieve profoundly over the death of some of their community with the hope that the dead would not be excluded from the great meeting with the Lord was a reality that would bring great comfort. The truth of the Lord opens the door to true comfort. The resurrection of the dead in Christ and the rapture of the living in Christ is something that brings conviction and comfort. And we need both today. We need conviction because it will motivate us to live for the Lord until He comes or until we die. But It also brings us comfort for those days as well. Paul writes to comfort their hearts And is there anything as comforting as Jesus keeping His bride from the coming war of judgment? Furthermore, we are to comfort one another with the understanding that Christ is coming. Jesus' coming is not a threat, but it's a promise. We must not use eschatology of the end times to manipulate the emotions of the masses. Rather, it must be the very comfort of the heart of the believer. The resurrection and the rapture will reunite us with Christ and one another in Him who have gone on before. God's will is for us to live longing for the blessed hope of His coming. Today, as we bring this section to a close, this chapter, you might be going, There's a whole lot there, and there's still yet much mystery. That's perfectly fine. Because there's one thing that's not mysterious. And that's this. One day those who are dead in Christ will rise. And one day those who are alive and remain shall be caught together with the Lord. And so shall we ever be. Therefore, be convicted by it and be comforted by it. And comfort one another with the coming of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Help us along and look forward to that that glorious day, Lord. May our hearts say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that today as we prepare our hearts for this time of worship service, Lord, that everything that we do and say would bring you glory and honor. We pray for just a sweet spirit of unity today, that you would be worshiped today, that your word would go forth and would bring about conviction, would bring comfort, and Lord, that we'd be obedient to you in all things by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, take a pause for the cause. We've got a men's and ladies' prayer room right over here.